Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smartenized. Today's episode, The Long Shot. I have never been able to vote for a presidential candidate who I both liked and who had a chance of winning. When I was younger, I used to vote for whoever I hated the least. Well, I think this guy will screw up the country less than that guy. I think this guy will blow up the Constitution less than the other guy. And I always felt kind of dirty. You know, it was kind of like last call at the bar and there's just two ugly girls left in the place and so you hit on the one who's less ugly. Yeah, there's really not a lot of satisfaction there. And then, when I got older, I started voting just for the guys I liked. And, of course, they never really had a chance. I usually voted the Libertarian ticket and contributed to the massive 1% or 2 or maybe 3% of the vote that the Libertarians got. Now, I don't go with this wasted vote business. I think the only truly wasted vote is if you vote for somebody that you don't like. This is not like a horse race where you're trying to wager on who's going to win. That's not how you should vote. You should vote for the person who you think is the best person for the job, whether or not they're likely to win. Voting for somebody you hate, well, that I think is really a wasted vote. But now there's somebody on the horizon. There's a long shot. There's somebody who I would actually like to vote for. And I think listeners to this show are probably going to find it pretty easy to guess who I'd pick. It would, of course, be Dr. Ron Paul. Oh, but Ron Paul doesn't have a chance, you say. All of the polls and statistics shows that he's still in the single digits. Well, there's a reason for that. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Polls are generally done on the phone to people with landlines. In other words, they're getting people at home during the day who aren't using a cell phone. They're getting a lot of old people. They're getting people who are not out there working. They're not getting the people whose only phone is a cell phone. In fact, I saw a interview with Zogby, who does the Zogby polls, and he acknowledged that Ron Paul was being underrepresented in the polls. They were going to look into that and see what they could do to get a more honest poll. Now, the rest of the media, they're really not all that interested in honesty. The left-leaning media hates Ron because he's not a socialist. And the right-leaning media hates Ron because he's not a moralist. He doesn't want to be your mommy. He doesn't want to be your daddy. He wants government to be small and out of your way. And all these people who have all of this invested in the status quo... They don't want to see the kind of massive changes that he would bring. In some cases, it's rather passive sabotage. You'll see articles talking about the candidates, and they just happen to leave Ron off. In some cases, it's active, and this is really apparent on Fox News. About a month and a half ago, Fox News did a poll, and Ron came out in the middle of the list, still in single digits, but he was like number five, and Mitt Romney was number six, and then they had the seventh and eighth. And when they published the poll, they simply left his name off. 
and they left Romney's name off as if they never existed. We don't want the Libertarian and the Mormon to even show up on the list. But it gets worse than that. After one of the debates, they invited people to text message. Ah, they're getting to the cell phone people here. Text message a vote. And Ron Paul won handily. And Sean Hannity said, well, that's just because the people with the cell phones are voting over and over again for Ron Paul. But it turns out that that's not the way the poll works. You could only send in one message from one handset. If you try to vote again from the same phone, it would be blocked. Well, let's give Hannity the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he didn't know how his own poll worked. But the next day, downsized DC helped to educate him. And we all sent in, I was part of this because I love downsized DC, we all sent uh, email messages to Hannity saying, look, please correct your error. 40,000 email messages. Did he correct his error? Hell no. Not only that, but a little while later, he made the same claim. He made the same allegation. And so this means that if you want to look for Sean Hannity's honesty or integrity, you're going to have to rent some time on an electron microscope. Can you imagine if Hillary or Obama or Rudy Giuliani raised $4.2 million in one single day? Wouldn't that be the headline? Wouldn't that be all over the front page of the newspapers? You know, Ron Paul did just that. Yep. In fact, it wasn't even Ron Paul. It was one of his supporters who said, hey, you know what? Wouldn't it be cool if we saw how much money we could raise for Ron on one given day? And let's pick Guy Fawkes Day. And on November 5th, from midnight to midnight, the Ron Paul campaign raised $4.2 million, mostly in individual contributions. How come that wasn't on the front page of the New York Times, USA Today? They gave it a little coverage, but certainly not what it deserved. So why Ron? What does Ron stand for? What is different about Ron than all of the others out there, the Democrats and the Republicans? Well, let's face it, folks. The difference between the two parties is trivial. There is some difference in how they want to control you and how they want to take your money and how they want to take your civil rights. They may argue a bit about the details, but the fact of the matter is they all love big, huge, monster government. And everything they do, despite what they say, everything they do is designed to create and enlarge and enrich the government. And that, of course, comes at the expense of our money and our freedom. Ron is the only person running for either party who has a consistent record of voting down just about everything. They call him Dr. No in Congress, and when you see a vote that's 434 to 1, you can be pretty sure Ron Paul is the one. He doesn't want anything that's not in the Constitution to be in the federal government. He's actually read the Constitution, and he understands it, and he knows what it means, and that puts him heads and shoulders above anybody else who's running, above most of the people in the Supreme Court. It just makes him really super qualified for this position. You see, when he says he wants to reduce government, 
he's not talking the way Democrats and Republicans reduce government. What they'll do is they'll say, well, you know, we usually give a, uh, a $5 billion increase to this department. Let's only give them a $2.5 billion increase. And then they go to the papers and say, look, we cut the budget by 50%. You lying weasels. No, sorry, cutting down on the amount of the increase, that's not cutting the budget. And that's not how Ron wants to do it. Ron wants to eliminate departments, not cut them down, not make them smaller, eliminate them. High on the list, the Department of Education. Now, the country did just fine without a Department of Education until Carter put it in, and now it's a $50 billion a year waste of money. Eliminate it. Get rid of it. He wants to get rid of most of the three-letter agencies that are out there and cut the rest of them way, way down. Now, I don't agree with every one of his decisions. For instance, he wants to turn abortion over to the states, make it a state issue. And technically, I hate to admit it, but he's right. It really shouldn't be a federal issue, but I just don't like the idea that women in the toothless states are going to have a choice between unwanted children and back alley abortions. And we can argue whether this really should be considered a right. I think it should. It's a fundamental right to make this decision. Probably not on the privacy issue, which is what it was decided on. But yeah, I'm not too keen on that one. And a couple of the other things I don't quite agree with him on. But I do like his overall approach. Knock government down. Every department of every government gets bigger and bigger and bigger over time. If they fail, they say, well, that's because we need more money. In the rare events that they succeed, they say, see, all we need is more money and we can do an even better job. Now, I can in this short little podcast give you all the things that he believes in. But you can go to Ron Paul 2008 and check it out and see. And bear in mind, primaries are coming up, and this system is very much rigged to force you to vote the way that people want you to vote. And if you are not registered as a Republican, you may not be able to vote in the primary. If some states, if you're registered as an independent, you can't do it. Some states let you vote. Well, they're all over the place. They usually find ways to try and restrict you, though. So Bear in mind, if this is something that you're interested in that you want to do, check your party affiliation, make any changes that you have to make in order to be able to get this guy on the ballot. Yes, it is a long shot. It is a very long shot. Jesse Ventura was a long shot too, but he became the governor. Much to the surprise of all the pundits who were sure that the official Democrat or Republican was going to get in. Can Ron pull a Jesse Ventura? Can he do it on a national level? I don't know. It's a long shot. But I'll tell you, just once in my adult life, I'd like to be able to cast a vote for a president who I liked and who had a chance of winning instead of picking somebody who had no chance Or even worse, voting for the lesser of two weasels. 
And that's it for the Quick Hits Podcast. If you've learned a little something, if you changed your mind, or even if you can understand a different point of view without necessarily agreeing with it, congratulations. You've been smartinized. This recording may sound a little echoey. It may sound like it's being recorded in a cave. I'm redoing my office. I've got most of the furniture pulled out, so it's it's lots of uh, reverb here going on. And going through a lot of stuff. I mean, 20 years worth of accumulated garbage. I threw away my uh, Word 3.0 for DOS. A couple of boxes of enabled software. I used to work for those folks. Cool product for its time, but was unable to adapt with the times and also died. I've also got uh, $1,500 to $2,000 worth of TBBS software, and I just, it's useless. Uh, some of it's on five and a quarter inch discs. It was for running a multi line bulletin board that I ran in the mid 90s. Uh, again, a DOS based program. Uh, totally of, of no value, of no use at all, but it just costs so much that I, I just can't bear to throw it away. But I'm going through some of my old stuff here and finding all kinds of things, things I forgot. I, I had a piccolo. I, I knew I had a wooden flute that I had lost, uh, which I also never learned to play. But I, I had a piccolo and, and instructions on how to play it. And I'm not even really sure exactly where that came from. So the next recording will probably sound a little bit better. I'll be a little more settled in, hopefully. And have a little bit, uh, have sorted through my crap a little bit better. Hey, you know, I love hearing from you guys. Hitman at DaveHit.com. Go to DaveHit.com, spell with two T's to find links all over the place. You can also find them in the MP3 tags of this file. And of course, part of the fun of getting that email is reading selected ones on the air. I unfortunately don't have time to read them all, but I'll pick a couple of them here. And here's one. That I received from John Muser. Hope I'm not myrtleizing his name here. Loved your unintended consequences episode as usual. I'm afraid I'll have to challenge you on one of your claims though. Sorry for the long explanation, but I think the details are important to understand my point. You were talking about the unintended consequences of ethanol subsidies causing an increase in the value of corn and therefore it increases the cost of livestock. This is undoubtedly true. The next claim you made was the increased corn value causes farmers who would have planted soybeans, which could be used for the production of the much more cost-effective soy diesel, to plant corn. This is the point I would like to challenge you on. I grew up on a farm and am very familiar with the economics of running one. There is no such thing as a soybean farmer that is not also a corn farmer and vice versa. Corn and soybeans grown in America, I believe essentially without exception, are a rotated pair of crops. All farmers plant approximately 50% of their ground with soybeans and 50% of their ground with corn. They then swap each field the next year. He then goes on to explain why it has to do with nitrogen in the soil. Corn sucks all of the nitrogen it can get out of the soil and has to be constantly fertilized. Soybeans actually put nitrogen back in, not as much as the corn takes out, but if you were just going to try and grow corn year after year after year, it would just cost too much in fertilizer. And you also have a problem with a weed that looks like corn that's hard to eradicate when corn is growing, but in a soybean field, you can get rid of it. 
He finishes up with, any farmer who would increase the acreage of corn because of high market value is foolish and would ultimately lose money. If this is being done much, it would be a short-lived phenomena because a third year of corn on the same field would be devastating. I would look again at your source of that information because I find the possibility highly suspect. I think my source of that information was either the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post. I don't remember which of the two I read it in. But obviously, given the choice of uh, believing a journalist or a farmer who has actually grown the stuff, I think it's, it's, it's pretty obvious uh, which one you got to go with there. Now, the weed that he was talking about that's hard to get rid of in corn is called Shattercane, and he closes with a P.S. of speaking of unintended consequences, Shattercane is an invasive species that was brought in by the government to keep waterways from eroding. Now it is the bane of corn farmers everywhere. So, John, thank you very much for smartenizing me and smartenizing the listeners as well. Unlike Sean Hannity, you catch us in a mistake, or you catch, I say us, me. You catch me in a mistake, I'll admit it to you. I'm not afraid to be wrong. Hell, that's the only way you ever learn anything, right? Is if you're wrong on something and somebody smartenizes you. And that's the end of the concluding comments. So about the only thing left for me to tell you is that uh, you should never forget that the Quick Hits podcast is little more than a journal of one man's opinion and therefore should not be taken too seriously. Seriously.